Welcome into the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, The Blue Box, Ben Krakow, Garrett Jones, and Chase Phillips with you on this Friday afternoon as we have a full hour of sports talk ahead here on the preferred walk-ons. We'll get into some college football, some NFL, big story out of last night's game. We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll also have a guest joining us. Tyler Natuno covers Florida Gators. He'll be joining us at 4.30 to preview Mizzou and Florida tomorrow at 11 a.m. from Faroe Field here in Columbia. And then we'll also talk a little Mizzou men's basketball later as they had a big non-conference game earlier this week and continue their non-conference schedule next week. But we will get into college football week 12 as we are headed towards the finishing stretch of college football, the third to last week of the regular season before the conference championships and still a lot to be decided And, of course, last week was the big clash between LSU and Alabama, a game LSU won in Tuscaloosa and earned them the number one spot in the college football rankings this week. Ohio State sits at two and Clemson sits at three. Not a big surprise about those two. But then, obviously, now a big debate about the fourth spot. Currently, Georgia sits in that fourth spot with that one loss against South Carolina. But Alabama dropped to just five after their loss last week. Oregon at six has just the one loss against Auburn. Utah at seven with the one loss. And then Minnesota, who upset Penn State last week, sits at eight, still undefeated as they head to Iowa this week. And then Penn State at nine and Oklahoma at 10, each with one loss. Baylor, of course, still undefeated. They sit at 13 and prepare to take on Oklahoma at home this weekend with college game day in town. What was your guys' reaction to the rankings I think there's not much debate about the top three right now, but then going down the list of four probably feels like maybe Georgia fits in there right now, but come decision time in a couple of weeks of the committee, I'm not sure there's going to be a clear answer of who should be at four. I think you put that really well. Right now, Georgia is the fourth best team in the country. That's not relative to next week. Might not be the case in two weeks, especially when you look at their schedule when they play two games that they very well could lose against Auburn and Texas A&M. One of those games at home against the Aggies, but... I think that Georgia right now is the fourth best team in the country. Seeing them in person last week, they're moving guys around on both the offensive and defensive line. Their receiver core is really coming into its own. And when you have a group that can go five deep at running back, I mean, it's going to be hard to stop you no matter what. And then Jake Fromm, just the ultimate professional at quarterback. He's somebody that you feel very confident moving forward about. I still feel like next year is probably going to be Georgia's year. But for now, yes, the fourth best team in the country. Well, and two, you know, you would think that if Georgia does run the table the rest of the regular season and where to beat LSU in the play in the SEC championship, excuse me, that would be a clear spot into the playoff. But they likely have to win all of those games for that to happen. That it'd be very unlikely for them to get in with two losses. Right, and, and you know the way I see it, the what the committee is doing right now is basically saying, hey, no matter what, it kind of looks like there's probably going to be two SEC teams in the playoff, and that's just simply because of how good these are. You know, you look at that LSU Alabama game last last week. Alabama, I don't think, played their best football and still had a really good chance to win that game. I I think Alabama's offense is going to be tough for anybody to stop. And I think the same is with LSU. I think also Georgia's a very good team. But like you said, Gary, you know, they do still play a tough schedule. They've got to go to Auburn. You know, this week, tomorrow, that's that's a tough game. You know, I don't care, you know, how bad or how good Auburn is, and Auburn's pretty good this year. That's that's a tough game no matter what. And then A&M's no pushover either, even though that game is at home. I, you know, I still think that the Aggies have weapons that they could pull off an upset. And then you got to go play LSU in the SEC championship game. I think the biggest thing is if LSU were to lose the SEC championship game, you know, the, in, and Georgia wins, that's when you really get, you know, some of those questions, you know, who's going to be in, who's going to get that four spot. But like you said, Ben, still a lot of time left. There's still a lot of things that could happen. I mean, heck, LSU and Georgia could both lose tomorrow, and, you know, then it would be just back to square one. Probably not going to happen, but it could happen. 
Well, and Auburn hasn't lost at home this year as they prepare to take on Georgia tomorrow. I think it's also interesting looking at Minnesota because I heard Joel Klatt bring this up earlier this week of Fox Sports that you know when you look at teams right now in terms of wins versus current teams in the top 10, amongst the top 10 teams beating other current top 10 teams, there are only two, LSU Alabama last week and Minnesota over Penn State. So, you know, that adds a little bit of credibility to Minnesota. I mean, they have a tough schedule remaining, no question, at Iowa this weekend, then at Northwestern, and then they finish at home against Wisconsin. You know, I think if they win those three games and then they take on Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game and they at least keep it somewhat close, I think they have a compelling case to get in as well. And I think that would create, you know, quite a bit of debate. You know, let's say you have Oregon sitting there with one loss as a Pac-12 champion. You know, you have both LSU and Georgia as one-loss teams with, you know, let's say Georgia wins the SEC championship and then Minnesota with one loss, you know, that would create a lot of debate. And then, of course, you still have Alabama sitting there. And, you know, people said if, you know, Alabama loses this game last week, they have no chance to getting in. But now with the way a couple things fell, it kind of feels like they maybe still have a chance. But the question is, is there enough there with that schedule? Really, Auburn, the only big test remaining for them. I, I think it, right now it's just kind of a clutter. And ultimately, you know, how does the committee evaluate this? Or is it, again, four best teams? Is it most deserving, conference champion? There's still a lot to be decided, and I don't know if necessarily there's going to be a clear answer come decision time. I think you have to, you know, if Oregon continues the way they're playing right now, I think you have to seriously consider them, right? They had Auburn beat for most of that game, and yes, they lost, but that's all the way back in week one, and we've seen it's better to lose early than late. And then you have, you know, a team that's basically steamrolled the rest of their schedule. I think, you know, that would be certainly a very compelling case. But at the end of the day, you know, does the committee leave an Alabama or Georgia out in favor of an Oregon or Minnesota? I don't know. Right. And we have seen zero predisposition for the SEC to err on the side of leaving an SEC team out. I think if there's any kind of a question, they're probably, based on precedent, based on what we've seen in five years of the college football playoff in the past, they're going to put the SEC team in. However, as been said, I think there's a compelling argument for Oregon. Minnesota, my question with them was, gosh, that was a paper-thin non-conference schedule. They almost lost every single one of their games. But something that I've been convinced of recently it doesn't matter. They still won those games. Even if it was over three points over a bad Georgia Southern team, even if it was a close, narrow loss to South Dakota State, even if it was a narrow win over Fresno State, Minnesota still got it done. There's a reason there's only four teams left undefeated in college football, and, and it's not because they're bad teams. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter who you play. Good they teams come win. out and they win. Good teams win. It's exactly right. You know, I think, Ben, as you talk about Oregon and Utah, I think Alabama, Oregon, Utah, and Oklahoma – all four kind of have the same argument, as in strength of schedule and who they've beaten and who they've beaten big time. You know, you look at Oregon's schedule, I mean, other, I mean, of course, playing the Pac-12 schedule, or in Utah, I mean, there's not a whole lot there that's, you know, other than the lost Auburn, there's not a whole lot there that says, screams that, you know, hey, we played a really, really hard schedule this year. And, you know, I think the same thing is for Alabama, other than LSU, they haven't really played anybody. In Oklahoma, they've played Texas, maybe and maybe Kansas State, maybe Iowa State, and they lost one of those games. You know, they, they still have Baylor this weekend. It's a huge game for the Sooners, and they've got Oklahoma State still at the end of the year. But I think those four teams are going to have a really hard time getting in just simply because strength of schedule is going to be just such a big, you know, factor. I, I believe all four of those teams, if I'm not mistaken, are below the, 
below the bottom 50 in strength of schedule this year. And that's just going to be really hard to compete with some of these other teams that are up Well, there. and that's why I think Minnesota has a compelling case if they went out because they will have beaten Penn State. They will have beaten Iowa. They will have beaten Wisconsin. And obviously, Ohio State's an extremely tough game. But if they keep that relatively close, to me, that's saying they've played you know outside of Michigan pretty much all the best teams in their conference, and they've beaten them. It, you know, I think that could certainly factor in here. And, you know, I, how much, again, it, it's – you know, these people are human on the committee as much as they're supposed to evaluate these different metrics and use all these different tools that they have at their disposal to evaluate these teams. How much does it factor in? If it comes down to Alabama and Minnesota, you know, it, is there a just mental thing where you're going, you know, I'm going to pick Alabama, right? <laughs> is that right? We want to see Alabama play in against, you know, LSU again or against Ohio state rather right. than Minnesota. Yeah. Um, does that factor in, you know, the ESPN's involved in this as well in the college football playoff. And frankly, I think pretty much anybody would rather watch Alabama play one of right. these teams in Minnesota, you know, can that factor in? Will that factor in? I don't know. We'll see. Also t- worth considering Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon, is part of that committee. Right. Supposed and they're to supposed to excuse themselves. Right. Yeah. But you don't know if he will. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, Right. I mean, he will have to, to but right. still, right, you know, how are people going to vote, right? You know, it, Are they going to feel pressure with him in the room? You right. Know Pre- I mean? Pressure to vote for Oregon? I don't know. You know, it's, it's up for debate, and we'll see. Um, either either way, I think you look at the top, and this is just this is just just off the top of the head. You look at the top fourteen teams in the country, and you look at all those. Doesn't matter who gets in the playoff. There's gonna be a lot of fun bowl games. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of fun, just interesting matchups to watch. I mean, just for example, you know, say that the four are in right now is the four they are. I mean, you're probably gonna get this is just just spitballing here. Just like an Oregon, Minnesota, an Alabama, Oklahoma again, you know, a Florida, Wisconsin, a Baylor. I mean, there's just a lot of intriguing good match. I think it's going to be a fun yeah, bowl season. Yeah, I, I think those have been hurt a little bit by a couple things. A, the amount of guys who have skipped bowl games now Correct. to prepare for the draft. And B, sometimes when you don't get in the playoff, like we saw with Georgia against Texas in the Sugar Bowl last year, they just don't want to be there. A, right, and right. then it's like, well, we didn't make the playoffs, so what's the point in trying to compete in this game? So ESPN put out an article on Monday. These were their current scenarios, playoff games included. Ohio State versus Clemson and the Peach Bowl, which is a playoff semifinal this year. And that is Ohio State is the one, Clemson is the four, correct? Ohio State is the two, Clemson is There's the three. three. Okay. LSU versus Georgia, one versus four at the PlayStation Festival. And then the other three New Year's Six games, um, Penn State, Wake Forest. On December 30th, just because the ACC has to have a representative in one of those. Uh, And then Oregon versus Minnesota, Chase, you hit the nail on the head on that one. And then finally, the Sugar Bowl, Alabama versus Oklahoma. I mean, you look at those matchups. I think a lot of people want to see Alabama play Oklahoma. They want to see Jalen Hurts go up against Nick Saban. But like you said, Ben, you know, there's a lot of, you know, teams that are, you know, some of these players are just sitting out. You think about last year with Michigan, you know, and this isn't just because I'm a Steelers fan, but you think about Devin Bush, Rashawn Gary, and Chase. None of them played, and Michigan got absolutely waxed. You know what I mean? When I missed uh, the Cotton Bowl, Utah versus Cincinnati. That one's interesting in and of itself. Just a lot, just a lot of interesting matchups. I think if if all these players play and continue to play, I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, interesting storylines. Right, and a couple of obviously huge games this weekend, including Alabama and Oklahoma. Excuse me, Oklahoma and Baylor. I should say Alabama coming off that loss to LSU, and then LSU travels this weekend to Ole Miss at Orgeron. Now it's kind of funny for him to go back to the place where he was fired, as he's now leading LSU to be number one. And then of course Minnesota and Iowa is a huge game as well as Arizona and Oregon, as Oregon continues to try to steamroll teams in their path to the Pac-12 championship. And then, of course, Georgia and Auburn. But, you know, talk about, you know, Oregon-Utah is looking like a potential Pac-12 championship game, which could be huge as well in terms of determining, 
you know, which one of those teams gets there, and does Utah have enough of a case if they knock off Oregon with just that one loss against USC? Well, and another question I wanted to pose for tomorrow, I would say the biggest game tomorrow is probably Oklahoma-Baylor. Just to pose a question, say Oklahoma goes out there, I don't see this happening, but say they go out there and they, they beat Baylor by 40 points. Is that saying that Oklahoma is is good, or is that just showing, hey, Baylor's really not been that good, they've just had a really nice schedule? And I think that's something that the committee is going to ask as well. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, I think that the day of reckoning for Baylor has come. Uh, obviously, you play the games for a reason, but this is a team that narrowly escaped Rice in September. Matt Rule, heck of a coach. He's done an incredible job rebuilding this team. Even then, Baylor, when you look at their schedule, really should have lost to Texas Tech. They end up getting saved by a rule book formality. You know, they, they were down against Oklahoma State. They barely squeaked by Iowa State. I think it's should finally— have lost, Should have lost last week. DCU the bell, should have lost. Right. The bell is finally tolled for the Bears, I believe. I think the issue with the Big 12, and this goes back to how they realigned themselves when Nebraska left, when Missouri left, when Texas A&M left, Colorado left— they they don't have a lot of teams and they don't they lack real high end teams outside of Oklahoma and Texas and with Texas not necessarily being at the level they were it's hard to really build quality wins in the schedule right and i think that's something that they're going to continue to have to deal with with their current format cuz you can have teams like Baylor and TCU and Oklahoma State make runs in certain years but they just lack the high end big name schools and this is something the Pac12 is even suffering with right now too especially with USC being down and Stanford as well I think it, it's an issue for these conferences that don't have the big marquee names. It's because it's just hard to get those quality wins on your schedule, and especially when you don't necessarily have a real tough non-conference schedule. Right. I think it, it's difficult for these other conferences to really prove themselves over the course compared to a one-loss SEC team that has played you know everybody to you know. You know, all, a lot of top teams in the country. You're looking at, at Georgia's schedule, taking on Florida, taking on LSU potentially in the SEC title game, taking on Notre Dame earlier this year, Auburn this week. A lot of teams that you know, are near the top of the rankings that builds your case a little bit more than some of these other conferences. But we'll see what the committee decides. And I think you know this year it could be a, a tough year for the committee just because there may not be an obvious answer for that fourth spot. And then, of course, you played the games, as Garrett said, for a reason. And, exactly. you know, Clemson could lose. Ohio State could lose. It's unlikely, but you never know. Well, I mean, and and you don't you don't account injuries in. I mean, I mean, you right. never want to see it happen. But, I mean, you know, say tomorrow that I – mean, I'm just trying to think of, you know, just a normal example. You know, say that Clemson's playing Wake Forest. And Wake Forest isn't a bad team, not very good. Say Trevor Lawrence gets hurt. You know, you know say one of those top players gets hurt right. and, and their whole team just falls apart. You don't want to see it happen, but it could at any moment. Right. And, you know, that was what we were discussing last week. You know, is Tua going to be fully healthy? And I don't know if, I don't think he was last week, but that wasn't as good. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily the difference in the game. LSU really dominated Alabama from their offensive perspective on Alabama's defense. But I think that's certainly a question that has to come up. And, and, if it does, it's going to be tough for the committee to decide, and there's no you know obvious answer, and it's only been a few years of the college football playoffs, so there's not necessarily precedent for what to do in those kind of situations. So we'll see how it all plays out. Still a lot of time to decide and, and see how things happen going forward. One thing that I wanted to mention before we get in a break, or maybe pose a question, Ohio State at Rutgers this weekend. Is this the third 70 ball we see from the Buckeyes this season? Oh, I'm sure it is. I, I think mean, so, too. <laughs> I mean, they're 53-point favorites. Yeah. I, I saw someone did put a butt down. 53? Yeah, I saw someone put down. Oh, a, they changed it, Ben. It's 52 now. Uh, 52. Ooh. Well, I saw someone in, had a bet on Rutgers to win, I think, at 53. Well, if it, tells you, if it tells anybody, any of our listeners out there, 
on how people are predicting this game. The line is 52. The over and under is 61. <laughs> okay, I'll put this perspective. If you bench 52 to 9. <laughs> okay, how about this? If you benched every single starter for Ohio State and it was all second and st- third stringers against Rutgers first stringers, would Ohio State still win? I think it'd be I, like I a think, 24 to 20 game. I, I think they'd win like 27, like 17 or something like that. I, I mean, the I think problem, they would. I, think I mean, the would. problem is Ohio State's just like, oh, we'll just throw this little four star out here. Let's see what he can do in the. Rutgers is going to be out there trying to try yeah, their hardest Chris Olave guy, who is that guy? Going, going back to the, the conference realignment, I mean, I know the Big Ten wanted to get into the New York area, but I think adding Rutgers will forever be looked at as one of the Mistake. biggest mistakes they did. It yep, made no I sense, agree. and it hasn't worked at all. Anyway, when we come back, we'll get a little bit into the NFL. What happened last night that caused everybody to be talking today here on the Preferred Walk-Ons? KCOU and KOPN are holding a joint record sale and dance party at 5 o'clock on November 15th. The record sale will go from 5 to 8.30. The dance party will begin at 9 p.m. Okay, this part is the most important. It's at Cafe Berlin on November 15th. For more information, check out the social medias of either KCOU 88.1 or KOPN 89.5. KCOU Karaoke at Eastside Tavern, Thursday, November 21st, 8 p.m. to close. Entry is $5, and if you're a minor, there's two extra dollars. That's $7. It's going to be really fun. You can sing songs with your friends. You can sing songs with strangers, and it'll be pretty cool. That's Thursday, November 21st at 8 p.m. at East Side Tavern. Make sure to start your week off right by listening to General Emission on KCOU 88.1 FM from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. every Monday morning. I think he's wrong, though. You're, it's a you're heartless agreeing move. and There's, disagreeing on the same topic. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing that it wasn't a smart move. I'm just not disagreeing with Anthony Davis's dad either. Once again, that's General Admission from 8 to 9 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM for the latest updates from the MLB, NFL, NBA, and the NCAA. KCOU would like to shout out East Side Tavern. It's the bar that's bizarre. Downtown Columbia's best karaoke comedy club. With a huge selection of drinks and activities and themed nights every week, Eastside is a solid place to hang out. Berlin on Friday today for the KOPN and KCOU record sale. Doors open at 5 o'clock with a $5 entry for the early birds. At 6 o'clock, free entry to the record sale starts. The dance party starts at 9 o'clock with a $5 entry for those who haven't paid. Music will be provided by Hit Records and Cafe Berlin will be serving up sliders all night. Once again, come to Cafe Berlin for a record sale starting at 5 o'clock and dance party at 9 o'clock. Mizzou Volleyball is back on KCOU. Tune in to KCOU 88.1 FM as the South Carolina Gamecocks 
roll into Columbia, Missouri to take on the Tigers. Pre-game starts at 12.30 p.m. and first serve is scheduled for 1 p.m. Once again, coverage of Mizzou Volleyball versus South Carolina starts at 12.30 on Sunday here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Back here on the preferred walk-ons, Ben Krakow and Chase Phillips and Garrett Jones. We joined by Tyler Natuno in just a few minutes to talk some Mizzou, Florida. Right now, we'll talk a little bit about the NFL. Obviously, the big story today in sports was what happened at the end of the Browns-Steelers game last night. It wasn't a particularly interesting game. The Browns were on their way to a pretty easy victory. The Steelers had a lot of injuries, but then the Browns' star defensive end, Miles Garrett, assume most people have seen it by this point, and right at the end of the game, about I think it was eight seconds left with Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph. He rips off of Rudolph's helmet, and then he literally hits Rudolph in the head with Rudolph's own helmet. A big brawl ensued after that. Marquise Pouncey, one of the Steelers' offensive linemen, started punching Garrett, and then one of the Browns' defensive linemen took out Rudolph again. Resulted today in the NFL announcing that Miles Garrett suspended for the rest of the season. I think technically it's indefinitely, but at least through the rest of the season, Marquise Pouncey received a three-game suspension. Larry Ogunjobi of the Browns received a one-game suspension, and a bunch more guys were fined. I think they even said technically everybody that left the bench was fined from that incident, and both teams were fined $250,000 each. It was an ugly incident. It was something that wasn't necessary. You know, it was, I think, more than anything for everybody was just pretty shocking because I don't think we've ever really seen. I mean, there's been notable incidents, you know, the Albert Hainsworth stepping on the head of Andre Girard back in the day, the Andre Johnson, Cortland Finnegan fight. We've seen fights in the NFL on occasion, but something like that using a, you know, a piece of equipment, especially from another player as a weapon, I don't think we've seen very often before. And it was just kind of stunning to watch and in the end just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially with the Browns about to win in the game over. This wasn't a, you know, the team's losing and you're frustrated kind of moment. It just, and there wasn't even really anything to build up to this either. It just did not make a whole lot of sense. Big picture. This is a massive black eye on a lead that on a league that's trying to repair its image in the public eye. Think about every single domestic violence dispute that's piled up for the NFL over the past five years. And then you have something like this on field Boy, I bet you Commissioner Goodell is enraged with what he saw last night. That is not the image that the NFL is trying to project. They've taken on community service initiatives over the past couple years, really trying to restore its view in the public eye. You look at all the research that's been done on concussions and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and then you see something like that, a direct blow to the head. Are you kidding? Man, that, that, that whole scene, just terrible last night. Yeah, I, I think you said it perfectly, Garrett. You know, it's it's just something that as a league, and th- this is, you know, as all of our listeners know, I'm a Dire Tears fan. It's just something that you never want to see. You know, you don't want to see it the opposite way around. You don't want to see it for Miles Garrett, really, even. You know, he was having a defense player of the year type here. He played a really good game last night, and, you know, it was it's just something that you don't want to see. And it's, you know, I understand there was a lot of things that went on during that play. You know, people are saying that Mason Rudolph started it. People are saying that Miles Garrett started it. It doesn't really matter either way who started it. You, you know, ripping off the helmet me and ben were talking about this on the way over here you know ripping off the helmet you know is one thing i mean but you know say you just throw it away or you know something you know you might get a a pretty hefty fine but you're not getting suspended you know he's losing tons and tons of money of not playing these last six or seven games and you know it's really hurting the browns they're a team who can't really afford to lose you know you think about the rest of their schedule i i think the afc sixth seed is probably going to have to have six to or excuse me 90 10 wins and they've already got six losses. You know, they really can't afford to lose another game. And that having one of their best defensive players there, that, that's really going to hurt them. But overall, last night it was a dirty game. You know, you think about 
there was multiple unnecessary roughnesses against the Browns last night, just just not that last play. And, you know, it, it's one of the things that Freddie Kitchens has struggled with this year. His team has been the most penalized team in the league. They lead the league in unnecessary roughnesses. And, you know, just one more thing on Miles Garrett. It, it's it's a trend with him. It's happened a lot this year, and the league has just kind of brushed it to the side. You think about he had fined, I believe it was $42,000 for his late hit on Trevor Simeon, which ended his season. He punched Delaney Walker in the face in week one when they were down 30 when they were down thirty points, I believe, at the end of the game. Punched him in the face. He got fined for that. He leads the league in roughing the passer calls right now. I mean, it's it, it's been building, and it finally boiled over. And, you know, like I said, it's just not a good look either way around. Right, and unfortunately, everybody was okay. No one got Correct. hurt when it could have been much worse and then you know what happens because of that it ultimately you know the brown season isn't really going anywhere so i'm not sure that it in terms of the reflection of the whole nfl season has that much impact but it's something that's not going to be forgotten for a long time it's something that's going to come up in a couple weeks when the browns (laughs) and steelers play again you know you'd have to think baker mayfield probably a little bit concerned about (laughs) what might go on in that game but ultimately it just something that didn't make much sense and again it just well, and it shadows the win. You know, yeah, you about they're the about to win the game. The, the Browns, uh, right? You know, and I, I didn't agree with Troy Aikman last night. He kept saying that this was a, a monumental win for the Browns to finally beat the Steelers. And you know, I think a lot of people are sitting there thinking, I mean, they're on their backup quarterback. You know, their two wide receivers are out. Their running backs. I don't really know how it's a monumental win, but it nonetheless was a good win for the Browns last night. It was a win they needed, and it was, and it was a game they really needed. And you know. You're looking to ride that momentum. It kind of seems like Baker Mayfield's starting to settle in a little bit and not make some of those bad decisions he was making earlier. You know, this Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb backfield is going to be hard to stop. And then, like you said, Ben, you know, eight seconds left, you make a play like that, that probably, you know, like you said, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. But even if they had a chance, that probably just went out the window because you lose your best pass rusher. I am a Texas A&M football sympathizer. My dad graduated from that school, and I've grown up rooting for their football team. I've loved Miles Garrett ever since he was a recruit. I was extremely disappointed to see that last night because ever since his time in Aggieland when he was a true freshman, he's been a fantastic ambassador for Texas A&M. And the fact that he was the school's first first overall pick, he is never going to have to buy a beer when he goes back to College Station ever again. But now his legacy is in jeopardy, which is just so disappointing because he was a fantastic person. When he was to Texas A&M, I remember specifically in 2016, the season was lost. The team was going 8-5 and five again. They were in some of their final games of the season against LSU, and he went out there and limped and gave everything that he had in bowl games. We just talked about that earlier in the show, how athletes don't do that. Miles Garrett did that. He played in a meaningless bowl game because his last game at Texas A&M meant a lot to him. It feels like it's not even the same person anymore. Well, I'm just extremely disappointed. And he's a really good player, and he was a guy that always had a variety of interests and seemed like a good person and now as you mentioned Garrett a lot of that's been thrown into question and you can say well it doesn't matter for the Browns but yeah I mean they are only four and six but their remaining schedule is home against Miami at Pittsburgh home against Cincinnati at Arizona home against Baltimore at Cincinnati I mean outside of you know the Baltimore game it feels like all those other games are winnable to the point where you know if they do win that game which they did last night you feel like all right well then now they have maybe a little bit of momentum they have back-to-back wins and you know, maybe they can take this and turn this into something a little bit better. But now, you know, that's all been overshadowed by what happened at the end of the game. And now they don't have their best pass rusher for the rest of the season. Yeah. And, you know, this is one last thing and then, then we'll take it into break. You know, it's just like you guys have said before, it is just such a bad look for this league. And like you said, they're really trying to, you know, get over this and really trying to make this a better league. And it just it's not. It's not getting there. And Ben, like you said, in two weeks, it's it's really is going to be interesting to see, 
you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, both teams are brought to the middle of the beginning of the game and saying, hey, listen, we're not going to put up with it. We're not going to put up with crap. You know, if, you know, we'll start throwing people out if we need to. And, you know, there was another ejection last night. Demarius Randall got ejected. And it's just, it's a chippy game. And I get it's a physical game in the NFL. But last night was a line that was crossed. And, you know, I think another thing is, too, they suspended him indefinitely. You know, is it just going to be this year? Or is it going to be like, hey, you're suspended Eight to ten, eight to ten games. I don't care if it goes over next year. That's how long you're suspended. I, uh, you I, know, it's interesting. I, I would think, based off the NFL's president, that if he shows some remorse and he shows a willingness to right come back and then this year be will better, be it. this will probably just be through this year. But we'll see. All right, we come back. Tyler Natuno covers the Florida Gators. He'll be joining us ahead of Missouri and Florida tomorrow here live on KCOU. COU and KOPN are holding a joint record sale and dance party at 5 o'clock on November 15th. The record sale will go from 5 to 8.30. The dance party will begin at 9 p.m. Okay, this part is the most important. It's at Cafe Berlin on November 15th. For more information, check out the social medias of either KCOU 88.1 or KOPN 89.5. Okay. Hey, this is KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you trying to release the hottest project of this year, possibly next? Come down to our studio in the Student Center. Can mix, master, record, edit, engineer your whole project, your whole artistic experience wrapped into one visit. Please come down and visit us. If any of this interests you, please email sessions at kcou.fm. For more than 75 years, we have worked together to improve the lives of the people of Missouri by helping lawyers even better serve their clients by improving the laws that impact our daily lives, by keeping you informed, and by increasing access to our courts. We have achieved more than we ever could as individuals. We are. We are. We are. are the Missouri Bar, and we're here to help. Brought to you by the Missouri Bar. Come to Cafe Berlin tonight for the KPON and KCOU record sale. Doors open at 5 o'clock. $5 entry for early birds, 6 p.m. Free entry to the record sale starts and the dance party starts at 9. Missouri Tigers football is on KCOU 88.1 FM this Saturday. The Florida Gators come to Columbia for a matchup with Mizzou. Tiger pregame live presented by El Rancho begins at 10.30 a.m. with the kickoff scheduled for 11 on KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Happy to be joined now here on the Preferred Walk-Ons by Tyler Natuno. He's the sports editor and Gators football reporter for the Alligator over in Florida there as he covers the Gators in Gainesville. And Tyler, thanks so much for joining us, and we are happy to have you on the show today. Big game here tomorrow in Columbia. Missouri's won the last two versus Florida. Florida off to a very fine start in this year, albeit a couple of losses 
it seems like in the two years now, or all, nearly two years under Dan Mullen, Florida's taken big steps to where they were, at least certainly from the, the Jim McElwain era, but maybe not quite to the level they want to be at yet. You're around it every day. What do they have to do to maybe take that next step and to get to the level they want to be at? Mm-hmm. So, you know, after the, uh, after the Auburn game earlier this year, I think a lot of the kind of the temperature around the program was that, you know, maybe this team was ready to take that next step. And I think we saw against LSU and Georgia that that just wasn't the case. And I think it's really just the talent thing. Uh, you know, I mean, the recruiting hasn't really been up to par. It's, you know, they're recruiting at a top 15 fringe top 10 level the last few years. And, you know, the Georgias of the world are pretty consistently in the top four or five. So I think, you know, there's a lot of really good players and, and Dan Mullen's done a great job of, of, you know, turning things around. I think the program's in a much better state than it was two years ago. But I think that um, we haven't quite seen the influx of, of talent, especially along the offensive and defensive lines, to just really be competitive against against those teams that are just stacked there. Hey, Tyler, this is Garrett. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, you know, early on in the season, Florida's still really keeping its weight considering that it lost its third-year starting quarterback, Felipe Franks. Can you talk about what the team has done to get Kyle Trask up to speed and playing Emory Jones just a little bit? Can you talk about what the quarterback situation has been like this year under Mullen? Yes. You know, when when Felipe Franks got hurt in the Kentucky game, uh, Mullen always talked about, you know, next man up. That's kind of mentality of the team. Um, But that's, you know, just kind of what coaches always say. But, you know, I think that the team has really done a great job of rallying behind Kyle Trask, um, who's, who's played really well, I think, uh, in, in Frank's absence and, and done a lot to, you know, the offense, the offense is a lot different. It looks a lot different now than it did week two. I think the focus is a lot more on completing intermediate passes and that kind of thing. Um, and I think with the run game struggling the way it has, it's, it's, it's been pretty effective so far. But I think, you know, just from talking to the players, they really just uh, – you know, they believe in Kyle Trask. They believed in Felipe Franks, too. But they, they really do, I think, uh, buy into the fact that either of those guys can lead the team to be success, uh, being successful. And, Tyler, what I'm most impressed about is the way Florida's been able to build their defense. You know, you think about last year when we were down in Gainesville. You know, they had Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Voshan Joseph and, of course, Ja'Kai Polite. And they just had some real stars on defense. And then, of course, they had, you know, at the time, who was considered a really good corner, C.J. Henderson. I think he's even better now. And Donovan Steiner, of course, and Trey Dean. And David Reese, who's been all over the field. The way the Florida defense plays, I mean, it's just really, really hard to put up a lot of good points unless you're a good offense, like earlier in the year, like LSU and Georgia. Yeah, and the, the I'd say the, uh, the common denominator for those two games was, first of all, uh, Florida's been really struggling with injuries on defense. They're kind of finally healthy now for the first time since really about week two, um, you know, Jonathan Gennard and Jabari Zuniga, two of the better pass rushers in the SEC, have been sidelined at different points with injuries. Grenard's pretty much fully healthy. Zuniga's expected to play on Saturday. We don't, uh, Not sure if he's 100%, but having him, you know, out there and playing more is going to be a huge, make a huge difference, you know. And in those games against LSU and Georgia, they really weren't able to get any pressure, you know. Uh, started the year leading the, comp, or leading the country, I believe, in sacks, and in both of those games, they didn't bring the opposing quarterback down once. And you really saw Jake Fromm and Joe Burrow were really able to have a lot of success through the air without pressure. Um, you know, I think having those guys back when they're there and healthy, Florida can really create a lot of pressure. We saw it in the Auburn game. They forced a lot of bad decisions from Bo Nix. He really played like a freshman in that game. 
so I really think they've, they've retooled, you know, losing Ja'Kai Polite, a guy who is, you know, one of the most dominant rushers in the SEC last year. They really haven't missed much of a beat. Yeah, I'm interested, Tyler, looking at the game tomorrow in terms of it's not that cold here. It's about 50 degrees, but there has been some snow earlier this week. I'm sure it'll be cleared off the field by tomorrow. But I know when Florida was here a couple of years ago, they or several players that brought that up. Obviously, Gainesville rarely gets to even close to this temperature during the, the season. And Florida hasn't necessarily played a game in these type temperatures. Have they done anything this week to sort of prepare for that, get ready for a game at colder temperatures than they're used to? Yeah, Mullen talked about that on Monday at his press conference. You know, I think basically what, what basically what he was saying was, you know, it, it's a factor and it's something they're considering. But he basically, I mean, what he said, I think the quote was, uh, we'll go out in the parking lot and play at 2 in the morning if that's what we have to do because we're competitors. That was basically their, the way they're handling that. But I think you're right. You know, it, they haven't really talked much about exactly what they're doing to mitigate that danger. But yeah, I mean, the coldest game I think they've played in, from what I could tell so far this year, was probably South Carolina, and that's not going to uh, even compare to probably what it'll be like tomorrow. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but I think from what the players and coaches said this week, I, I don't really think they're worried too much about it. I think they're just pretty locked into the game. And going back to we had a little discussion on Dan Mullen, you get a big win like that over Auburn, in a game where Auburn is just as high, did not more coming into the matchup. This is year two fully under Mullen. How do you evaluate his success so far leading this program? I mean, I think it's pretty much, it's hard to say it's been anything other than an unquestioned success. I mean, when you look at some of those other guys that got hired uh, in that 2018 co- uh, coaching cycle, really none of them have been as successful as Mullen. Um, and some of them, you know, had a little bit, you know, a lot of people wanted Chip Kelly, I know, when when the Florida job opened up a couple of years back. But, I mean, I think Mullen's done a fantastic job. You know, obviously they're not back to the level of competing for the college football playoff. I mean, we saw against LSU and Georgia, they're just not up to par with those teams. But the fact that, you know, they, they really do look like they're in line for another 10 or 11 win season, considering where the program was at when he took it over, I mean, it's, it's pretty phenomenal, honestly. I think it it might be one of the less talked about storylines in college football, just how impressive of a job Dan Mullen's done in, in getting the program back on track. And lastly, Tyler, here before we let you go, do you have a score prediction for tomorrow, or, or any any final thoughts, you know, about this Missouri team going into the game tomorrow? Yeah. So you know, I think I think that Missouri's defense is really good and could force a lot of problems. Um, you know, Florida's offensive line is its biggest weakness, and an interior lineman, Chris Blythe, just entered the transfer portal a couple weeks ago. So they're another man down there, really can't afford any injuries. There's no depth. So that's definitely an area that could be exploited. But I think that uh, I think that Florida's passing offense is probably the best that Missouri's played so far. And I think that even with Kelly Bryant coming back, I think we've definitely seen over the last three weeks the offense was not as good without him. I think with him coming back, I think it'll be a competitive game. I think it'll be a weird game. You know, Missouri has the advantage. They haven't lost at home uh, this season. It's going to be, you know, weather that favors them more. But I think at the end of the day, Florida's going to pull away in the second half or something along the lines of, you know, 24 to 13. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Well, Tyler, thanks so much. We really appreciate you jumping on and joining us and for all the insight. And we appreciate you joining the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Tyler. Tyler Natuno joining us from Gainesville. You can follow him on Twitter at Tyler Natuno and see his work in the Alligator there as the sports editor and Gators football reporter. More next here on the Preferred Walk-Ons.
has you covered. Catch every Tiger men's and women's game from Mizzou Arena and select road games on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Get ready for game day with wall-to-wall coverage leading up to tip on KCOU Sports Saturdays and catch press conferences, full-length replays, and highlights on YouTube and Spotify all season long. Deep three for Mark Smith on the left wing. He hits. They just can't miss right now. Don't miss a second of Tiger basketball on KCLU 88.1 FM, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Join me, Garrett Jones, for one of these nights, a solo podcast-style sports talk show covering the weirdest and wackiest of sports history. I take a deep dive into the old and noteworthy of Mizzou and all four major professional sports. Stick around for the second hour to unwind with the best of classic rock from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm on Sunday nights recording live from 8 to 10 p.m. on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM in the Blue Box. It's also on Spotify and Apple Music if you ever miss a show. It's one of these nights, the perfect way to end your weekend. Preferred Walk-Ons, Mizzou's most insightful sports talk from your favorite bench warmers, is now available to listen anytime, anywhere. After every Friday's show with Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones, we post a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Anchor Podcast app, and anywhere else you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter, at KCOU Walk-Ons. End your week with Preferred Walk-Ons, a part of KCOU Sports, and now streaming. No fighting. Welcome back into the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU. 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the Blue Box. Ben Krakow, Garrett Jones, and Chase Phillips. If you missed it, check out our Spotify podcast after the show to hear Tyler Natuno. He just joined us from Gainesville. He had great insight on the matchup tomorrow. And... Missouri hopes to have Kelly Bryant back in that game tomorrow. The question is, can Missouri muster some offense? They've scored a total of 21 points in the last three games, including getting shut out against Georgia last week. And, you know, it's kind of weird, especially going into this year and after week one and what happened to Wyoming. I think there's a lot more questions about the defense than the offense, but their defense has actually been pretty good. The other day, their defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters, just got named a finalist for the Broyles Award for top defensive assistant coach in or top assistant coach overall in college football. It hasn't been much problem defensively. It's been much more of a problem offensively and having Bryant back, you would think would help, but Missouri's got to find some way to muster some offense to even give themselves a chance in a game tomorrow against a Florida team that maybe isn't great offensively, but they put up over 50 points against Vanderbilt last week. Right. And and I think the addition to Kelly Bryant, I think it's going to be a very close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think these two teams are very evenly matched on different sides of the football. I think Missouri's defense probably has the advantage, but I also think Florida's offense probably has the advantage. So I think it's going to be a really interesting and fun game to watch. Yeah. And when you look at these, the direction these two programs are heading, it's kind of in the opposite pattern, really, since about the midway point in the season. You go back to a game that Ben and Chase are unfortunately a little too familiar with and Missouri's loss to Vanderbilt on the road in Nashville. The team is just tailspun since then. And then you look at Florida, ever since a setback to Georgia, you set aside the loss to LSU. They've been on kind of an up and down pattern, but they're still trending upward with a seven and two record. I think that landmarks the SEC pretty well. And I think especially in the Eastern Division, 
this is a matchup that's really going to go a long way to defining, you know, who's competitive, uh, at least in this season, if not furthermore. Yeah, certainly you would think that Missouri needs something to go right on a three-game losing streak right now. And, you know, the last couple weeks aren't as tough. Tennessee at home has played a little bit better in the last few weeks. And then, of course, Arkansas in the final week of the year in Little Rock, a team that's just fired their coach in Chad Morris. But, you know, Missouri right now still hasn't hurt on their appeal. And it's getting to the point where the point of, you know, if they don't hear by, I don't know the exact date, but, you know, by the time the bowls are announced in early December, they can still be eligible for a bowl and they will be eligible for a bowl considering they will beat Arkansas to get to six wins. But you'd like to think they'll be, if we got some major or Mizzou has some major problems, excuse me, if we cannot beat Arkansas. Well, yeah, you would think that Mizzou would be able to knock off Arkansas. But the point is that Missouri still could have something to play for and a legitimate bowl game at this point because they still have not heard back from the NCAA. Shifting focus here just for a couple minutes to Mizzou basketball. Mizzou went on the road earlier this week on Tuesday night to take on Xavier, a team that's ranked in the top 25 right now, expected to be better this year, an experienced team, got off to a really rough start, turned the ball over a bunch of times in the first half, but then battled back in the second half to the point where they had the lead in a low-scoring, grinded-out type of game. The two teams play you know, sort of a similar style. Missouri ends up losing the game in overtime. Xavier hit a three to send the game to overtime. And then Xavier sort of dominated the overtime period to the point where I think Missouri ends up losing by about seven, I think was the, the final. 63-58 was the final. Okay, by five, I guess. They won basket at the end, made it to five. But in the end, I think, you know, there were certainly a lot of things to learn from from that game. But I think Missouri has to feel pretty good considering they didn't necessarily play all that well, especially in the first half, but they kept it competitive and compared to games in, on the road a couple years ago in the non-conference specifically, Iowa State and Utah, they didn't allow this game to get away. And, you know, they had a chance to win at the end. They didn't, but they, you know, it's not necessarily a moral victory, but you feel like, all right, if they can stay with Xavier on the road, that's a, a good sign of things to come for the rest of the year. Chase and I talked about this off air just the other day. You know, Conzo Martin, the head coach of Missouri men's basketball, obviously some questions what you see on the court. X's and O's, you saw that the year the Tigers made the tournament. You saw it last year when they were struggling to get to 500. You're going to see it out of the gate this year, too. They've been pretty solid overall, but... I loved that Mizzou basketball did this as well. I loved the transparency. They put, took a video in the postgame locker room of Martin's comments to the team, put it on Instagram, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is essentially what he said. He said, guys, it can't fault your effort, but we have got to learn that we can't turn the ball over 13 times in the first half and expect to win. It's a tough, painful lesson, but it's a lesson that I'm glad that we learned tonight. Martin is a fantastic ambassador for Mizzou men's basketball. I really am glad to hear him preaching that message to his team. They still seemed encouraged. They still seemed upbeat. And it seems like really this is about as good as a loss as you can take at this point in the season for Missouri. Yeah, and I think the the one thing has to be, again, under the con- in the Conzo Martin era, I guess you'd say in the last two-plus years, this is his third year as head coach, there have been some times where it seems like they've had chances at end of games, but they have not been able to come through and win those games. And, you know, ultimately that kind of falls back on the coach a little bit. And yes, Missouri maybe doesn't necessarily have the big weapons at the end of the game. And I think the other night it wasn't necessarily Missouri doing something wrong. Like we've seen in the past couple of years, you know, turnovers, missed shots. It was more Xavier doing you know things right in terms of them making shots and hitting, you know, a, a couple big plays there and playing some really solid defense. But I think that has to be at least a little bit of a question mark going forward is, can Missouri in close games close out games, especially ones where they have the lead? Because they did have the lead after the Xavier Penson dunk. I think put him up three, and Xavier hits the three to tie. 
you know, can they do that going forward? We'll see. But they're going to have to be able to do that if they want to get to where they want to at the end of the year. And, and you know, I, I think something that whenever you look at this team, you think about they finally have depth and they finally have a point guard. You know, just watching that game the other night, they really have two point guards. If you think about it, Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson. I think Xavier Pinson has taken a big step forward this year just so far just from what I've seen. And Drew Smith is, you know, a very good point guard. He shoots a little funky, but it goes in. And so, you know, having those two point guards, you know, they're able to beat presses and they're able to be more effective on offense. You know, I think this week, if you're a Mizzou fan, you want to pay attention to just some different games and kind of give you, you know, a little update about how your, you know, next kickball opponents are. Wofford and Butler play tomorrow night. So that's, you know, a game if you're a Missouri fan, you might want to tune in and just see, you know, what the score is, you know, how those are you playing because that's Missouri's next opponent is Wofford and they also play Butler in the Hall of Fame Classic. But overall, I think this team is going to be much improved. I still, and I'm still sticking by my, I think they'll hit 20 wins this year. You know, I really do. I think they're a good enough team to do it. Well, and Drew Smith had a big game the other night, scoring 22 points and having 10 rebounds and four assists and three steals. You know, and something we haven't talked about was once again Jeremiah Tillman's foul issues in the first half. He got two fouls very quickly in that game, sat the rest of the first half. He did make it through the rest of the game without fouling out, so that was an improvement in the second half. But again, without him in the first half, they really struggled. And they do have more depth, but not necessarily at the center position. So they need him to stay on the floor going forward. Well, and Conzo even said in his postgame, he said, you can't have arguably your best player play four minutes in the first half. And I completely agree with him. You you can't have it, – it's just such a different mentality when he's in foul trouble and when he's out of foul trouble. You, you think about just different games. The Xavier game last year went up against Tyree Jones, you know, who's a very good center in Xavier – and dominated the game because he stayed out of foul trouble, and it changed the whole entire complexion of the game. Right, he had 23 points in that game last year, and they need his scoring, right? Even with Drew Smith's 22 the other night, they only had 58 points. This isn't a team that's necessarily going to be able to score 75, 80 points in a lot of games. They have to play defense and keep it more low scoring in order to give themselves a chance most nights. As Chase mentioned, they do have two home games next week, which you can hear live on KCOU. Monday night against Wofford and Wednesday night against Moorhead State. Both games at 7 o'clock. Tiger tip-off beforehand on KCOU. You can hear that next week. And, of course, just a reminder, lots of KCOU this weekend. If you're in Columbia tonight, the record sale at Cafe Berlin. Tomorrow, full sports Saturday, kicking off at 7 a.m., including Missouri and Florida. Josh Neighbors, Jimmy Kra- Jimmy Frouse on the call. That one's at 11. Tiger pregame presented by El Rancho starts at 10.30. And then, of course, Mizzou Volleyball against South Carolina live on KCOU on Sunday. That one's at 1 o'clock with the pregame show starting at 12.30. We'll be off the air for a couple of weeks as Thanksgiving comes up, but we'll be back to finish off this semester. As Mizzou, at, when we come back, actually, we'll be done with the regular season and potentially headed to a bowl game, and basketball season will be in full force in addition to all the pro sports around the sports world. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you in a couple weeks. This has been the Preferred Walk-Ons.